Welcome to the Triage Method podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Before we do get stuck in to this week's topic, what I wanted to remind you guys of was the fact that we do have online coaching spaces available. So if there are things in this podcast that you hear and you're like, God, I'd really love some kind of specific guidance on that. You know, I see that some of their clients have gotten results that I would like to get, then you could acquire about online coaching. The information is in the description box, or you can just email us at info at triagemethod.com. Let us know what you're interested in, and we can get the ball rolling with that. So with that said, it's time to get stuck into this week's topic, which is basically going to be the barriers to weight gain. Um, you could say that these are psychological barriers, but really they're just the practical barriers that, that people kind of run into when it comes to, to weight gain. And in this, in this podcast, we're not going to be focused on, oh, I can't get my calories up, you know, because that's, that's not really the topic at hand. Rather, the topic at hand is the fact that people tend to ditch their goals um, as soon as they encounter um, some, sort of, some sort of drawback to the process. So for example, the most common thing is that people will commit to gaining weight for maybe a month or two, but then they look in the mirror one day, they see their abs have faded a bit and they're not about that life and then they start to diet again. And this is something that can <clears throat> basically stop you from ever making progress. And like that's fine if that's not really your goal, but if you want to build a lot of muscle and you want to be really strong, you want to be the strongest version of yourself, the biggest version of yourself, the most muscular version of yourself, or you want to have that kind of muscular, quote unquote, beach body in years to come, then you do need to actually invest in that weight gain, that weight gain process. Um, so that's- I, I just want to say on top of that, like this, even though Gary said, like, you want to be the biggest muscular, whatever, like this applies to both males and females, you know, like, it probably applies to females more. Well, I don't know. It's probably equal nowadays with like Instagram having like a, a effectively, you know, incentivizing being lean. Like if you want to get likes and followers on Instagram, like you have to be shredded posting pictures of yourself because it's a visual medium. So it makes sense, you know? Um, but this applies to both males and females. So if you are female listening to this and you're like, Oh, actually, you know, does this apply to me? Like this is something that you see all the time in the, the female fitness community where, and we've touched on it before. We talked about it before where you'll see, females basically be on a diet or off a diet there's never any consistent grow time right it's effectively the only time they're not dieting is when they're fully yoloing the diet they're just like yeah whatever calories who cares oh i've had a few bad weeks i'm gonna diet again they see again there the ab outline failed or it starts to, to fail or fade even if i could speak um and then they're like oh i have to diet again not feeling as comfortable in my my clothes see you later you know and same with the guys they're just like yeah i'm the the fit guy and all my friends you know i like having this bicep vein here um and they you know they're the fit guy and uh, as soon as they start to see a little bit of a layer of fat even if it's the most minuscule like no one else in the world would even fucking notice it they're like oh yeah abort this mission uh go straight back into that fat loss diet you know and i also think to layer on top of this there are some I don't know what you call them planning issues in terms of people expect like people's expectations, I suppose are not correctly aligned. And that kind of becomes a psychological barrier in and of itself because they see these hyper unrealistic uh, results that people post online. And it's, it's due to like performance enhancing drugs. And they think like, Oh, I'm in that same position. I should be able to get that, those same results, not realizing that the people that they follow or the people that are putting out these results are doing so in the context of being enhanced or their, their athletes, their clients, whatever are enhanced. And this is both uh, something you see in people marketing their, their online coaching or their in-person coaching. They'll effectively only, only coach enhanced people. And it just looks like they're doing unbelievable work, unbelievable body transformations, but it's because it's in the context of being enhanced, which is fine. You just have to market it as that. And that's something that I think a lot of people miss in the fitness industry when they're looking at these things. It's like, and I, I did a video on it uh, last week, you know, asking about the, the population, like who is the population that this is targeted towards? And quite often it's not targeted towards you as the population, you know, and that's both from reading studies and, marketing and all that kind of stuff and i think that's a big one for a lot of people having their uh, expectations aligned correctly 
that's the first psychological barrier. And it, it's one of those ones that's really hard to do because everyone's a liar in the fitness industry and they say they're natural and then they're taking all these drugs or they say they got these results in eight weeks when really it was two years. You know, it's like everyone's just a fucking liar and it, it's hard to align your expectations effectively because you don't know any better. Like <clears throat> if, you're, if you're not in this, this realm, you haven't done this stuff for, you know, two, three, four, five, eight, ten 10 years, whatever you, you just don't know. Like you just think that this is, this is common. This is the standard. You just resistance train. And in two years you are 20 kilos heavier of pure muscle, you know? And I think that's the first, first ex like the expectation alignment. That's the first psychological barrier you need to get over. Yeah. Like ultimately the only thing that actually matters is that you are getting better over time. Like that's literally it. Like the, you don't really like, you, you sort of do through your behaviors, but you don't really have control over the rate of progress that you make and the magnitude of the, the muscle gain um, that you actually, you know, part of that process. So like sweating the fact that you're not gaining muscle at the rate of someone that you follow on Instagram or something you follow on YouTube, like that's only going to make your life worse, you know? So there is a case for kind of just being like stoic about the process of muscle gain and weight gain and just saying, look, I'm, I'm doing exactly what is in my control. And I'm not going to worry about what anyone else is doing. And like that, those kind of like that expectations thing, it does sort of come to the issue of, of social media and the way that you use it and the way that you sort of start to compare yourself to others. Because if you, if you follow loads of people that are making much better progress than you, they're all ahead of you, or they all have different circumstances and you know yourself that this affects you by you comparing to them and you always end up on the wrong path as a result of that. They're like that is your choice. You have the option of unfollowing. You have the option of deleting your Instagram. And like this is where like being an adult and saying that right, I'm actually in control of the way that I live my life. Like that's that is ultimately your choice. So like I said that to my clients a lot. Like you know if you're using social media and it's making your life worse and you've identified that or it affects your behavior and you do not have to use it to improve your relationships to get your income like whatever it is like if it's not part of your job like that's your choice, you know, that's all on you, you know, so you have the option of just basically ditching that path. Um, but yeah, that's not the main topic of the podcast, but it is, it is something that's worth. You know, I just want to just say on that further is like, like I, you see this all the time with our clients as well. Like you have to effectively realign their expectations. And it's, it's something that we, we talk about as a society a lot, obviously, well, potentially depending on what you believe, we don't talk about it enough, but it's this whole like mental health stuff in terms of, your relationship with yourself. And I couldn't tell you the amount of clients, especially females, that we've effectively done a period of time where the, the, the strategy we've used to get them results is them deleting Instagram. You know, like that was the, the lifestyle intervention we brought in, you know? And they, as a result, have had a better, or have gained a better relationship with their body, you know? And it's just, again, it's a, it's a strategy you bring in that's like, okay, this, this is just a, a transient thing where we're effectively removing this stressor, just like you would remove any other stressor. And then you can start going, okay, can we get some sort of graded exposure to this? If it's going to, if you feel like, oh, I feel like I'm missing out on actual connecting with my friends. And so can we do some sort of graded exposure to this? Like we would do with like exercise and stuff. We're like, all right, download the app for an hour per day. You know, do your DMs, do your fucking whatever. That's fine. Do it like that. Unfollow, delete, whatever people that, you know, just aren't enhancing your life, you know? And again, like this, this is something that you, again, like we're doing online coaching for like, we'll call it physique and health performance, whatever you want to call it. But all of this stuff does play into it. And if you have a client, like I, I'm just thinking of someone in particular, like they came from a like a, a very poor relationship with themselves, like the, when they started and like being able to see them progress, like that was the, the, the changing factor that actually allowed them to get results. You know, they were actually able to eat the amount of food that they needed to they need they were able to get out of this kind of we'll call it binge restrict cycle where they were pushing calories and then all as soon as they feel a little bit fat it's like they start slashing calories and doing extra cardio and all that kind of stuff because they're comparing themselves to all these other people on instagram or whatever and it was just bad for their mental health and again we just removed the stressor and all of a sudden they were actually able to make progress because they weren't comparing themselves to this this stressor that was you know consuming them all consuming they're like oh but what about this person and what about this person and what about this person it's like we just got rid of it you never thought about them again you know and um, so 
not to say that like we're some fucking health coach gurus or anything like that, or that, you know, this is the, the, the path that you must do. I'm just saying that for a lot of people to actually succeed, they're going to need to align their expectations correctly. And something like social media can be a serious detriment to that because you start comparing yourself to all these other individuals who are probably liars, you know? Um, they're, they're probably lying about their income. They're probably lying about their their uh, results. They're probably lying about their drug use. They're probably lying about their relationship. They're like it's everything about it, it's just fake, you know. Like I couldn't tell you the amount of people I've talked to in the fitness industry that s- appear online to have, you know, unreal clients, unreal whatever. And it's like you ask them, they're like, yeah, man, I'm really struggling to you know, make ends meet here. And this is what you see all the time. Like this is why the personal training industry has like whatever, a two to three year or two to three year turnaround turnover of people. I think it's actually three to four, sorry. Um, where they just end up not being in the fitness industry anymore because it is like, it's a hard place to be. And even though they have been projecting this image of wealth or whatever, it, it's a lie. So effectively what I'm saying is for your long-term results, the first psychological barrier to weight gain, to progressing in this, it could very well be you using social media less. And it almost certainly involves you comparing yourself to others less, you know? Yeah, like as a, as a sound kind of heuristic for life in general, because we are, you know, life gurus in our 20s, obviously. I'm nearly in my 30s here. You're know, almost there. <laughs> it's to like, any and like, Anytime you have the choice of kind of drip, maybe drip feeding a bit of reward over the long term, like basically playing the long game or getting a big return on investment in the short term and playing the short game, play the long game. Like that's literally almost every case in life. Like that, that's almost always the best option. Obviously, you could take that too far. You could say that, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just save all my money and like only eat bread like right not a great call right that's too probably taking a long game too far um but it's almost always the best case and as it relates to to weight gain like that's very clearly obvious because like you ultimately have the choice like you could like if you were genuinely invested in muscle building like that is the value like that's what that's your identity i want to build more muscle i want to be stronger like that's what i want to do um then you could say to yourself, okay, I'm actually going to gain weight for five years. Like that's it. Boom. I am gaining weight every week, every month. Like obviously you don't want to be like five kilos a month or whatever, but you're gaining weight consistently on average for five years. Like you're going to get some pretty decent returns, you know, from, from five years of straight weight gain. You know, let's say you did gain, I don't know what, 10 kilos a year like obviously that's a reckless amount like but let's say you did gain 10 kilos a year and you gain 50 kilos body weight like you let's say you're just starting from 60 kilos at six foot you're a guy you know you're quite skinny um but you gain 50 kilos like yeah a lot of that is going to be fat but you're going to have a hell of a lot of muscle too that to add, that you've added on once you actually feel that back so the the point there being that there are significant trade-offs that come in that period of time. Like if you were that person in our exaggerated example where you gain 50 kilos, like, yeah, you're going to be feeling chubby some days. You know, you're going to be quite full a lot of the time. You might feel a bit gluttonous. You know, you, you might, you're going to sit down, you're going to have your little, little rolls of fat in your tummy and you're not going to feel too good about it. And when people ask you, you know, God, you know, you're going to the gym a lot. Like, why are you, why are you getting fatter? You know, you have to always come back to your own values because like, that is something that people will say, you know, they will be like, Oh, I thought you'd be leaner. You know, you, you eat so healthy, you're always prepping your meals. Like, why aren't you leaner? You know, you're doing cardio, you're lifting weights, like, but you're still like, you don't have a six pack. And that's where you come back to your own values because you can let those thoughts get into your head and you can say to yourself, you know what, I like being the fit guy or the fit girl, like that is part of my identity. And once I gain a little bit of body fat, I don't really feel like I have that identity anymore. Like, that's fine. If you are willing to accept the trade-off that, yeah, you're not going to make that much progress, you know, because you're not willing to actually gain weight. You're not willing to, to invest into that in the long term. And like, as I said, that's fine. If that's not your goal. But if it is your goal, you need to be willing to, to accept those trade-offs. And, that, and that's the case with, with, you know, every area of life. You know, you could be saying to yourself that I'm, a, I'm actually a personal trainer. Like, so let's say you're in a situation similar to ourselves. You're a personal trainer and your, your image is actually part of your sales, for example, you could say that, all right, I get more likes and I get more follows when I'm posting, 
you know, my lean topless photos. But then you have to ask yourself, okay, but do you actually want to rely on that forever? And do you like, do you want to just look the same forever? And do you want to be saying to your clients, like, here, look, here's me looking the exact same as I did five years ago. Or do you want to, you know, look back in five years and say, look, this is what I actually did in this five year period. Do you want help, you know, executing a similar plan of action? Because this is how you gain five, 10, 15 kilos of lean muscle mass by investing in the long run. Um, so yeah, there's, there's always, there's all, there are always going to be trade-offs and that's why you actually do have to kind of take a step back and all and break it down. You have to ask yourself what your values are, what the trade-offs are in each respective situation, and then kind of analyze them and be, and be a bit more, a bit more rational about it. Because I think most people aren't, I think a lot of the times what I see, even in one, even in one-on-one online coaching, where there's actually an opportunity to kind of intervene and ask questions. And we often kind of overcome the barriers. A lot of the times what will happen is someone will send an email one week and they'll be like, Oh, I think, I think I've gone too far. I feel, I felt real chubby this week. You know, I had one high weigh in and it could just be the number. Like the first time someone gets over 70 kilos, 80 kilos, 90 kilos. That, like, that's especially true for females. Like they, they really seem to get attached to that number again. It's because of like, whatever you want to call it, societal messaging and whatever. As soon as they start seeing like normally they're below 60 kilos. As soon as they start seeing that 60 on the thing, they're like, Oh no, 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 no. Abort mission. You know, abort. obviously happens to guys as well but that that is really true and just before we go on with this i just wanted to touch on the exactly what you were just saying there um you will see again if you're a personal trainer or whatever you you will see like people putting these messages out uh, online and they'll talk about the position that they're in right now but they won't talk about the position that got them to that position right mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is like especially because social media is so new effectively we'll say it's the last 10 years you know like I know so many individuals that built their muscle mass while they were in their teens or whatever, twenties, even before social media. So they did their fat stage. They did their, you know, uncomfortable with my physique stage when they'd never had to take pictures. So they appear like they're always lean and always in shape now, but that's because they built muscle over a, a 10 year time frame. but they were never posting pictures of that because there was no social media to post pictures on, you know? And so now they appear really lean. So just take that in mind that the approach people use right now for themselves isn't necessarily the approach that got them to being able to to do that. And this is unfortunately, especially if you're a teenager listening to this, like you will see so many images of, you know, 20 year olds, like in in their twenties, in their thirties, in unbelievable shape year round. And you can be led to believe that that's exactly what you need to do. But then if you were to look at what they did to get to that position, they spent some time investing and not cashing in rather than, you know, what you're trying to do, which is cash in while trying to save money, which is not, not a sound strategy, you know? Um, And this is men, women, whatever. And again, this is unfortunately is something that leads people to effectively turn to something like drugs or stuff. You know, you'll see this all the time nowadays where there's these teens posting uh, physiques that you're just like, this is actually ridiculous. Like this is the pinnacle of bodybuilding here. And you're like, there's no way that that kid can be natural. Like they've literally put on 20 kilos of muscle in a two year time frame with zero fat gain. And you're like, there's like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I, I just, I find it hard to believe that they're natural. And as a result, you're just like, all right, well, that kid's like 16. That means that they were probably doing drugs when they were like 15, which is the case. I know, I know a load of individuals that are, were teens that, you know, did steroids and stuff to get where they wanted to be physique wise, you know? And it's in my mind, I'm like, oh, like it's probably not a, uh, a great place to be in if that you need to turn to that. Like you have, you don't have the, the maturity, you know? And like, maybe, yeah, you do have individuals around you that are smarter or whatever, and you outsource the information to them. But even then I'm like, man, it's a 15 year old. Like I was fucking dumb at 15. 15. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's true. And, and like what you don't want to do is like you said that social media is quite new and everything. And I think you do have to be like mindful of exactly how you interact with that medium. And I know we're, we're talking about social media a lot, but it, it is really what influences people a lot of the time. And like, basically what a lot of people do is they basically just inherit a set of values from the people that they're exposed to. And like, that makes a lot of sense because like in a, through an evolutionary lens, like if you were to think about things in your, let's say you had a 
village of people from with 200, you know, there's 200 or 300 of you in a similar, a similar area, you know, even if, even in your housing estate at home, wherever you live, it makes sense for all of you to kind of have, um, you know, similar values. It makes sense that you would kind of inherit each other's values. You all value the same things because you're working maybe on similar land, you know, you might all be involved in, in agriculture, you know, whatever, like you all have the same challenges in life. You all probably have similar goals. You might all be oriented around, you know, your family and supporting your family and your neighbors, etc. And in that sort of context, it actually makes a lot of sense for us to just get, get our values and share values with people that we're exposed to. But that becomes very different on platforms such as social media, because you're now sort of artificially in contact or looking into the lives of hundreds or potentially even thousands of people that you follow, all of whom are in different careers and they're on different levels of the socioeconomic ladder. They're from different countries in the world um, and they might have, you know, different fitness goals and fitness backgrounds and sporting backgrounds to you. So now you've got this massive heterogeneity in the people that you follow, but you're trying to inherit the, the sort of average values that are shared then. And obviously then the, the nature of social media platforms such as Instagram, they then incentivize certain values over others, such as the presentation of aesthetics, whether that be good pictures of nature or whether it be good pictures of your physique. And if you happen to be involved in fitness, it is of course going to be those pictures of your physique. So now you've got basically incentives for certain values, everyone then sharing them in vastly different situations to you, and you're then going to inherit all of those values. And then, you know, it's, 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 you kind of wonder then like, all right, why am I not that happy? You know, why am I so focused on this when I'm letting other areas of my, my life slip? And that's where you have to come back and question the way that you use social media. And in this case, as it relates to your physique, it could be the case that like, this podcast isn't even what you need. It may, it might be the case that you're actually only worried about your physique because of inheriting those values. And like, this could be the podcast to tell you that like, actually maybe weight gain isn't your goal. Like maybe you actually need to go and start out your career because you've just been letting that slip because all you're worried about is your physique. So, so yeah, there's, there's a lot to it. Yeah. So I think that is just, the, first of all, the major psychological barrier is this comparison, <laughs> like it's social media comparison. Like that's, for most people that has fucked their ability to actually succeed in their goals. It's just like, they think they need to focus on these things when in reality it's like, no, that's these individuals are first of all, probably liars. And second of all, not in the same situation as you, you know? And again, that means that you're going to have to reevaluate your actual long-term goals. Right? So let's fucking move on from the social media because I think that's been well dealt with. So that's the first psychological barrier you need to, align your expectations correctly right and we can do this from a physiological point of view and like Gary was saying like the the approach you take to it is going to be dictated by the end goal effectively and like he was saying like oh what if you did spend like five ten years just gaining right now that probably wouldn't be the best approach you know you might do periods of time where you know you gain some weight you peel off some weight you gain some weight but the average trend is in the direction that you want to do so we've talked about it before so i'm not going to touch on the actual approach you would use. But I do want to just say for the sake of uh, people listening in terms of like what is realistic in terms of what they can gain uh, muscle wise, like it's probably around the max here, around a kilo of actual muscle per uh, month, right? And that it's a little bit deceptive because that probably includes water, probably includes glycogen. So it's probably like 500 grams of actual contractile tissue as a maximum, right? Um, but we'll say a kilo. That seems to be a good number for a lot of people. If you were to gain a kilo per month as a beginner now, uh, you could pretty much say that if you have good, relatively good to medium uh, genetics for this, you could gain pretty much the majority of that as muscle, right? So if you're a beginner, roughly a kilo per month as a male, right? Now, if you're a female, we can go, okay, it's probably about half that, right? So 500 per month, right? And um, that's that's the kind of rate of gain for a beginner now as you get into that more kind of intermediate to advanced and i also mean this not only just in your like lifting ability your how long you've been training like you might be very advanced in your lifting career but not very advanced in your nutritional career and what i mean by that is you haven't you've never done a period of time of gaining you know so you've never actually had this experience before so you're a beginner to this experience you know to this gaining experience you know even though you've been tracking your macros and calories for years you've never actually gone through a period of time of gaining so you're a beginner to this right 
So it really depends on the entire situation. Again, this is why we have like coach individuals. This is why we talk to individuals as an individual, because then we can start actually deciphering what's best for them. But either way, right? If you're a beginner, we'll say it's a kilo per month as a male, half a kilo as a female, right? If you get further into that, it gets less. It doesn't get more. It gets less. It's harder to build muscle, the more advanced you become. Okay. So I'm not going to give you a specific number of like, oh, you've been training for two years. That means that you're going to gain 750 grams of muscle. There's, there's no way to tell, right? And again, you have to layer on top of this. There is an individual uh, genetic response, an individual you know, lifestyle response to this whole argument. You know, um, But we'll say that 500 and a kilo, they're the two for female and male, right? Now, that makes things somewhat hard to gauge progress, right? And this, I think, is the first psychological barrier, but it, well, the second psychological barrier, but the, uh, it's actually a methodological barrier, right? And this applies more to females than it applies to males because the rate of gain is actually so slow, right? Um, that actually tracking progress and staying on the path, like without just gaining, like you could just go, oh, I'm just going to increase my calories by a thousand and gain boatloads of weight, like five kilos per month, but it's not actually the weight that you want to gain, right? Because obviously, presumably here, your your goal is to gain the most amount of weight from actual muscle that you can and the least amount of weight from fat that you can, right? That's going to be the goal for the majority of people. You know, we want to have lower body fat and more muscle. And that's the same if you're a female or a male, right? And that's what's giving you that toned physique and that, that look that we're looking for. Um, this is, again, the, the, the first, again, it's a methodological barrier, but actually tracking that is incredibly hard, right? So think about it, like for a male, that's 250 grams per week, right? 250 grams, like that's so hard to track it, with the day-to-day fluctuations of water weight, how, how you slept, how stress has been going, all that kind of stuff, right? So it's already hard for a male to track that, you know, especially if you really get caught up on day-to-day variations rather than what we would suggest, which is the uh, uh, average, the, the, the trend line. That's a more important one. So even with the, the, the guys, it, it's hard to track, but it's a little bit easier to track than females. Now, this is, this is where, again, it's a, a methodological issue, but it's also a psychological issue because of what it implies, right? So assuming we're just saying half the rate of males for females, right? The half the rate of gain for females, right? You can gain 125 grams of muscle per week. There is no way you can accurately track 125 grams. Man, you literally have a coffee extra per day. The water from that coffee is 125 grams. <laughs> like that's a 125 milliliters of water. That's fucking nothing, right? So it's already hard to track from that perspective, just to keep track of that, right? But then you have to layer on the fact that you have a menstrual cycle and your weight changes in response to that, right? So this can be a fucking huge mindfuck, right? And it is probably the biggest psychological barrier. And it's realistically probably why you see people like women in the, the female fitness world where they effectively go through these periods of time like oh i'm gonna gain and then it's like you see them like four weeks later and it's like oh no i need to need to start dieting like they probably are coming into that fucking week before their fucking period and they're like they step on the scales where they're like oh my god i'm up four kilos this is what abort mission fuck off see you later even if everything has been going so well you know so this is the psychological barrier for females like it applies to males as well because again males will see this they'll step on the scales and one week it'll be up huge and oh fuck me no 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 even if their physique is on point, that's still abort mission, right? But it's, it's harder for females because you probably have some more or you're more likely to have negative emotions towards yourself in that like week coming up to your period or even the, the week of your period. Like again, it depends on your, your individual cycle and your response to it, but you're probably going to feel more negative emotions effectively towards your appearance, your physique. You're going to feel like 10 ton Tessie. You're like, Oh, I'm just a bag of water. I feel like shit, even though like appearance wise, there's, there's very little difference. And then if you layer on, like you step on the scales and all of a sudden you see it's up two kilos when you've only been trying to gain 125 grams per week, like that can fuck you up mentally 
and make you think that your plan of action is incorrect and that you're not not actually on the right path. And then all that happens is you slash calories and you never actually make progress long-term overall. Yep. Like, I mean, looking at, looking at my, let's say last week of, of my weigh-ins, like, cause I'm, I'm trying to kind of gain weight nice and slowly at the moment. And the range that, that when I look at it, it's like 79.1 to 81.5. So what you're looking at there is like within a given week, there's a range of about, you know, two and a half kilos, say, which is over five pounds. And like, it probably gets exacerbated if you are tracking in pounds because you see them as even right. larger, larger fluctuations. But you're looking at a, a, a range there of five pounds. So when I look at that, I don't look and see, oh shit, I gained five pounds, better stop the weight gain, boom, done. Because that 79.1 came before the 81.5. Instead, that, like that's, that's the importance of tracking. And that's why like you're, you're talking about the stuff and this can actually help you make more effective decisions because if you have all your weigh-ins logged in, you have to trust yourself for at least a month. Okay. So you just have to stick to it for at least a month. Like that, that's the minimum. And you have to look at the data then because then you can see, all right, what is my actual average rate of weight gain? And what I was, what I would always say to people then is that, right, expect that the first month you'll gain a bit more than the other months anyway, just because you've gone from potentially an underfeeding state where you had less food content in the gut, less muscle glycogen, water retention, etc. So there's going to be a, a bit of a, a larger gain because of that. So when I look back over my weigh-ins, then I, I see over the past month, where I've gained just over about one and a half kilos. So probably a little bit more than the average I'd be looking for. But because it was my kind of first month of like really trying to overfeed, I'm not sweating that too much because it's an, it's an expectation. Whereas if I was to take any two points, like the range between the lowest and the highest weigh-ins, I think the highest over the month was over 82 and the lowest over the month was 77.9 or something like that. So you're looking at like a four kilo range. So like if I was just not tracking and I was like weighing myself the odd day, I could think, oh shit, I've gained four kilos, better stop, better diet. So like this is one of the kind of paradoxical things I think about like weighing yourself and your psychological well-being, because I think the the in, intuition from a lot of people who are like real careful about making sure people are happy mentally and feeling okay and not adopting disordered patterns. They assume that like staying away from the scales and maybe touching it every now and then is the best course of action. Whereas what I actually tell my clients when they're starting to develop, maybe some of those patterns, they're kind of, they kind of get real attached to the scales. I get them to track it more often because when you track it more often, you can actually develop trends so for that initial week, when you're tracking it and you're seeing, oh shit, I'm going up and down. Yeah, you might be freaking out, but that actually allows you to play the long game. Because once you've done that for a month, um, especially for females, when you start to see the menstrual cycle. No, I, I would even say two months, three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, especially when you start to see the, the recurring patterns over a course of no, a number of months in females, you actually start to trust yourself a bit more and it's no longer a big deal. You've desensitized to it because you're like, oh yeah, I expect that on the week before menses, I'm actually going to have don't ever, don't ever say like menses again. Why? Menses. Menses. Ew. Ew. Menses. 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 Your period, the week before your period, <laughs> that your weight is higher, then you're, you're just like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I, I know that's going to happen. That's fine. Like, I, right now, I could pull up five clients. I'm just literally thinking of them right now. I could pull up five, five client documents and I could go, right, just from their weigh-ins because we've been, I've been training them for over a year now or whatever. Like I can literally see the trend. I'm like, I, I know exactly when it is. They know exactly when it is naturally enough. Um, but they're like, oh, I can tell that every fucking fourth week, this week here, I feel like shit. I, my weight goes up and you know, I feel like everything is on cat 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 catastrophizing even again. I don't know why I can't speak. They're catastrophizing. And then they're like, all right, the next week that I'm back to normal and I feel great. I'm back on track. You know, like I could pull up five clients right now and just be like, there you go. Look, here you go. Here's the trend. We see this go up, this spike in weight, two to three kilos. Wow. Big day, big whoop to do. And the next week it's back down and we're back on track with our, our average trend line of what we're trying to achieve, you know? And again, I know this is hard for individuals doing it themselves where they're kind of like, I don't know what to expect. And as a result, they, they lose their shit as soon as they, they see that, that spike in weight that like the week before, or they, they feel the, the, the negative emotions towards themselves. And they're like, all right, fuck abort mission. And again, it is, it is one of those things that it's just, you kind of just have to trust the process and, 
as a result, you'll reap the rewards. But like Gary was saying, the only way you can actually do this is if you are keeping track a little bit more frequently than these random like step on the scales. Because if you're again taking Gary's example there, like imagine he stepped on the scales on a Friday and it's 77 kilos, right? And then he steps on the scales on the next Wednesday or something and it's 82 kilos. Like he could be like, what the fuck? In that last week almost I've gained fucking five kilos or whatever it is. Like that that can kind of make you shit the bed where you're like, all right, no, the calorie level I'm out at is just completely inappropriate. It's just no, it's a no-go, right? And this is also the same if you're not being very uh, consistent, we'll call it, with your your food sourcing and your, your your calories overall. Like you could be bang on track with certain foods over this period of time and you know you can see your weight and then all of a sudden you switch to these other foods because you were out or something and then you see the weight spike and you're like, oh shit, I must have overeaten a huge amount when realistically it's like different digestion rates. You know, maybe you're, you have more like stool effectively in your body because you've eaten more fiber or whatever from these other different food sources. Maybe there's a little bit of inflammation from these, these food sources. You're not used to them. Maybe they don't a hundred percent react well with your body, but it's not something that you're like too concerned about because you have them so infrequently. And, but maybe there's a bit of water retention and then maybe, you know, Oh, your sleep was a bit dysregulated as well as that because you know, you went out for a meal in the evening with your friends, family, whatever, but you stayed up like an extra three hours than you normally do. And then again, you step on the scales then the next day and you're like, I, Jesus, I must have fucked this because I just gained five kilos in the space of a day, you know? And it's like, there's, it's very unrealistic to assume that all of that was fat gain rather than just the fact that you have an extra increase in like uh, food bulk in your body and maybe some water retention from both the, the inflammation from different food sources and the fact that, you know, you didn't sleep the, the same sleep schedule you're on, you know? So like there, there are so many things that go into these, day-to-day fluctuations that the, the more consistent you can be the easier it is mentally right and i think this is also something that personal trainers physique enthusiasts whatever the fuck you want to call them fitness professionals fitness influencers whatever they kind of don't see the the, the real world stuff because they're so on track with their stuff that they don't know that if you eat different foods or you have a different sleep experience or you have a, you know, extra stress in your life that that's going to reflect on the scales and they themselves can then, you know, be talking to a client and see this and assume that it's the same position that they're in, in terms of they're always, they always eat the same foods. Pretty much they have the exact standardized diet every single day. Their days are pretty much the exact same. You know, there's no extra stress or whatever in their life. Their sleep schedule is the exact same. Like everything is standardized. And then when you bring it into the real world, the, the real world changes all these variables. And as a result, the, the experience, the, the weight on the scales and all that kind of stuff changes. And if you aren't aware of that, even if you are a fitness professional, that can make you jump the gun as well with your clients. When in reality, you as a fitness professional need to, you know, uh, trust the process a bit more as well. You know, like if you, if you are coaching someone and you see these things and you're like, all right, well, like, let's actually take a step back and realize that, you know, yeah, stress, sleep, everything, all these things are going into changing this experience. And we don't really care about these day-to-day fluctuations. We care about the trend over time of, is that moving in the right direction? Like it's, it, it is hard to do because trusting the process means that you actually trust the process that you are confident in your abilities as a coach if you are coaching someone or your abilities as an individual to coach yourself and i realized that you know it is very hard to do that's why we try to put out so much free information on all of this stuff so that you actually have a a good plan of action so that you can go okay you may be not able to have all the information available to you but you can at least trust that the plan of action provided to you is going to get you towards your goal once you implement it correctly. Yeah. And then, and then another, another thing that I want to bring into this before we kind of forget about it is how being lean and transitioning to weight gain really does adjust your, your frame of reference in terms of how you feel and in terms of what is lean. Okay. Because when I was like, when I was, when I was younger and had never really, you know, gotten to a really lean point, like my idea of, you know, what was lean, who looked good, who had abs, who didn't have abs was totally different to what it is now. Because as soon as I got to the point where I was lean enough with like 
veins on my abs, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, like this is, this is lean, but you're still looking at yourself thinking, oh yeah, there's still a lot of fat to go. You know, <laughs> I've got a lot around, you know, my glutes, still got loads of fat to lose. Like that becomes then my idea of like what it means to be lean. So anytime I'm above that, I'm like, yeah, I'm not that lean now, you know? And if someone was like, oh man, you're shredded. I'm, I'd be like, nah, no, nah, not really. Like I lots more to go. Whereas if you've never been at that point, your frame of reference doesn't change. And I don't think that's necessarily negative as long as you kind of acknowledge it. Because one of the things that I would then, or you would, or anyone would have to accept as you transition into a weight gaining phase is that you are no longer going to view yourself as being lean, you know? And as long as you don't get too attached to that, that's fine. And the fact, you know, you may previously have thought that the kind of outline of your abs, like was you being, you know, pretty lean and good shape. Whereas now that's going to look like you being out of shape or it's going to feel like that. You know, that's going to be something that kind of creeps into your mind a little bit. And that can really deter people from committing to the weight gain process. So I think being aware of that in advance can actually help you avoid it. Yeah, this is, this is something that you see a lot in people who do like uh, bodybuilding competitions, physique competitions or whatever. Like their frame of reference shifts so much down to such a lean position that the, like it's almost it's almost into a bad position where they're kind of like, oh, like even having a little bit of fat, like I feel like I'm fucking obese here. When like anyone objectively looking at them would be like, when you are leaner than 99.9% of people on earth, you know, it's like just because your frame of reference has been shifted so far down. And this is also why you see like physique competitors, they kind of never, or I'm going to say all of them, but a lot of them never actually progress because they just crave being in this hyper lean position when that's not what is going to get them to their ultimate goal of like building more muscle, but they're afraid to let go of this hyper lean position, even if they're only getting back to what, you know, a, a general population would think of as like very lean, you know, like they could still even have a full outline of abs, but for them, they're like, oh man, I like, I have that little bit of a uh, fat under my glutes here. My hamstrings are a bit fat. Like, oh no, I can't, I can't be doing this, you know? So it, it definitely can fuck people up mentally. Right. But this is also just on that thing. This also is a topic that really infuriates people because people will say they're something like, Oh, I'm 8% body fat. When in reality, they're like 15% body fat, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I am shredded, bro. And it's like, man, you have literally about 10 kilos, 15 kilos to lose before you're at that 8% that you, you keep saying that you are at, you know? So like that can also fuck people up because they're, they always assume if you're a guy, they always assume that they have more muscle and they're leaner than they actually are. For women, it's less of a, an issue because they don't really care about that as much. You know, like obviously having objective numbers and stuff helps, but they're, for the majority of them, they're looking for a look more so than like guys seem to be like, yeah, man, I'm 260 pounds, 12% uh, body fat. When it's like, no, you're 260 pounds, 25% body fat. You know, like you're just obese, <laughs> you know? Um, and, it, and that really fucks people up because they get really attached to that numbers on the scale in the opposite direction, they're like, oh, I feel flat and skinny if I actually ever make progress towards my fat loss goals. Obviously, we're talking about weight gain here, but it's the same, the opposite way for a lot of guys where they're like, yeah, I'm the big guy. And as soon as you're like, okay, yeah, the, you're actually just fat. You know, to be what you say you want to be, you're going to need to spend some time leaning down and getting into a lean position. And that means you're probably going to have to lose 40 kilos because you've let yourself go so far just chasing this numbers this number on the scales and then identifying with that number, you know? So it's a psychological thing and it occurs both ways. You know, if you're like, Oh, I can't go over 60 kilos or I can't go over 70 kilos or whatever it is. You're like, that's, that's fat. You know, the same exact thing happens in the opposite way where it's like, Oh, if I don't, if I go below a hundred kilos, that's me feeling skinny. And you're like this, this does not help you actually achieve your goals. This does not help. Like psychologically, this is the barrier for you to actually getting results you know yeah and, and and aside from the body fat there's another element of it too like that like overfeeding is overfeeding and as a result your midsection is going to feel swollen and bloated every now and then and i think a lot of people prey on people for this experience by trying to sell them all the solutions to the secrets to getting rid of bloating and never be bloated again and fix your gut and all this like like almost like 
pretty much every day there's going to be a period where after one of my meals I'm oh god like I'm feeling like japers like loosen the belt a bit like my gut feels swollen like that's just part of the overfeeding process and I, I never I never experienced that there's something wrong with it. I actually I'm going to sell you some uh, glutamine and um, we've got uh, some other protocols that can really help with that uh, I have this tip for like probiotics for your bloating it's your gut flora is just booked so uh, I'll sort you out after the podcast you know I don't want to give away all our secrets you know, once I chew my food it'll all go away the secret bro um but yeah no like like obviously there are there are things that can reduce the amount of gi discomfort you have if it's a very significant problem but i think a lot of the time what happens here is that we actually just we being the fitness industry in general just pathologize something that is completely normal like if you are over overfeeding you're eating a lot of calories you're eating a lot of food you're going to feel bloated you know you might have a bit more gas than normal you, you're going to have more stool than normal it might initially change in terms of its quality its consistency its frequency and that's totally fine like these changes are part of you changing your diet because like currently what people tend to do when they do begin to um transition into a a, a gaining phase or, or any phase where they're significantly changing their diet they do actually change the foods they eat as well and that might come with differences in fiber differences in team um other ingredients and food so like experiencing those things is not necessarily a sign that you're doing the wrong thing it's just different but that feeling of kind of being bloated um or having that some distension of your abdomen like and that's always going to make you feel and look like like you've gained more weight than you actually have but it's just the fact that like the gastrointestinal tract is a tract it is a tube and put more stuff in there it's going to be more swollen. Like it's, it's very basic stuff. Um, so yeah, being aware of that again, just knowing that it's going to happen should hopefully kind of protect you against just freaking out. Because I think what some people do is they'll take the information we discussed in terms of maybe they'll see a fluctuation in the scales. They'll look in the mirror and they'll see that they're absolutely a little bit. And then they look from the side or they feel in their t-shirt that their gut is a bit more swollen. And they're like, man, I'm out. Like I can't handle this. Like this is not my identity. And it is all about like, I guess, being aware in advance because I think like one of the most well, childish- before you go on to that, you, you forgot the, the main thing that happens after that. You take a picture of it and uh, yeah. load it and you go hashtag relatable, relatable you know? just so you can sell, you know, you're more like, oh, I'm, I'm one of you guys. I sometimes get loading too. Yeah. Like, and I've got, I've got like a couple of clients who have like legit, like, gastrointestinal issues like like you're talking about things like ulcerative colitis and stuff and it's it's just it's almost offensive to those people when you see the average fitness person who's just like oh i'm bloated like this is like so hard my life you know and stuff whereas other people are like they legitimately eat they eat the wrong meal one day or maybe they they're not adhering to their medication or whatever and they're literally in agony cramping like they're proper gi issues and so it's important that we don't just pathologize that as well um, but yeah like one of the one of the things that I think is a very childish approach to these problems, especially around the scales, is to just tell people to like ignore it. Like for example, the, the scales issue, what some people will do, as we mentioned earlier, is like, oh, just just don't weigh yourself at all and just and just trust the process. Like if you don't weigh yourself at all, you never get desensitized to the fact that your weight does actually fluctuate and you never learn about the patterns. Um, and that's just real childish to just shelter people from that and assume that they can't handle it. Like, I don't mm. think that's a good way of going about things. And this is the same thing when it comes to a bit of bloating, a bit of distension. Like what we don't want is for you to say that, you know, or for, for a coach to turn around and say, as soon as you get a little bit bloated, we need to like overhaul your diet. We need to pull calories back. We've gone too far. We've harmed your gut, whatever. Like that's just a massive nocebo and pathologizing something that is just, it's just everyday life. Mm. You know, so being aware of this stuff, the education component should hopefully help you um, stay on the path when these things do pop up. You're a good, you're a good boy, Gary. Um, yeah, so let's just take it back to the actual question, which is, you know, this psychological barriers to weight gain, you know, and as we've touched on, like, first of all, you have to just align your expectations firstly, but then you also have to align your tracking and expectations around the tracking of that you know and obviously then <clears throat> it goes without saying that your actual plan of action has to be correct you know like you can't just be like 
oh yeah, like I'm going to uh, not get these psychological barriers. I listened to this podcast, they fucking touched on some things, so I'm not going to get them. And all of a sudden you're overfeeding by 2000 calories per day being like, yeah, I'm going to gain five kilos per week. You know, it's like, that's not, not an accurate plan of action. So as we touched on, you know, you may be getting like a kilo of muscle gain per week or sorry, per week, per month. Um, and that's, you know, as a male, 500 as a female, <clears throat> the further you've been training in your career, it's less. So you just have to align your expectations correctly and then put a plan in place to actually achieve that in the time frame that you're saying you want to achieve that, you know? But I just want to make this a little bit more hashtag relatable and actually give people a little bit of an example of what this kind of look like in an individual, right? So I'm thinking of one of my clients right now, like when we, when we started, he had the goal of getting lean, you know, he was like, I'm carrying too much weight for what I, what I want. He's like, I'm not happy with the level of muscle mass I have. And we decided as the starting position to get him leaner while we still focus on progressing the training, tidying up the gym techniques, tidying up like his training program, all of that stuff. So he was still building some muscle while we were leaning down, you know, beginner relatively new to training. Like he had been training, but things could have been optimized a lot more, you know? So we got them to that position where he was in a relatively lean position. You know, he felt a little bit skinnier than he wanted to, because this is again, probably what most people are experiencing when they lean down. They're like, as a male anyway they're like i want to build a little bit more muscle i want to look a certain way and right now i yeah i look lean i can see the outline of my muscles but they're not big enough for what i actually want you know so you're like all right cool we're going to go into a gaining phase and for this individual like all along the way like he just kind of holds body fat a little bit more around his midsection right so the first thing to disappear was the abs that he'd worked so hard for you know and that's the first psychological barrier like he kind of got to where he's like, he didn't really care about the scales too much because, you know, his, his goal was to get bigger. He, want, he wanted to see the scales go up, right? So we were gaining at a nice, slow, appro- approachable weight, you know, or sorry, manageable weight. And it's like this, yeah, this goes with what we can effectively achieve, right? And the abs started to disappear. And that's when you started getting a little bit cold feet. You're like, okay, I'm, like, I'm trusting the process. Patrick, you're saying you know what to do. And yeah, like things are improving. I see my strength going up. I see the numbers in the gym going up, but the abs are starting to disappear, right? And we just effectively had to go, that's part of the process. That, that's, it's going to happen. Like you can't keep this ridiculously lean physique year round. Like, yeah, we can keep you relatively lean. Like, I'm not saying he got like obese here now or he's carrying lots of extra weight, but he was only carrying like an extra, we'll say two to three kilos of fat <clears throat> as a rough scientific estimate. Um, but it all kind of aggregated around his abdomen, just genetically where he stores fat. You know, this is very like male storage pattern as it is, but that's effectively where it kind of stored, you know? And he was like, yeah, right. Look, I'm just going to trust the process. Patrick, you say, you know what you're doing. You seem to be able to get these results. You know, I, I, I signed up. I looked at all your transformations on your page. Fucking great. Right. So I'm going to trust the process that you know what you're doing. Right. So again, that's, that's a hard sell, hard buy-in, but, he got over that, again, psychological barrier initially, right? And then he gained that fat on his midsection. He's a little bit unhappy with that, sits down, a little, little bit of a roll, doesn't like it, right? And we were like, right, trust the process. Let's keep going with this. And we slowly started gaining. But after that initial like fat gain on the stomach, it's effectively been, he's, he's been in a position where we've been slowly gaining and it's been pretty much all muscle. Now, obviously, I can't, I'm not there measuring his body fat. He's not getting DEXA scans or anything. So that's a, obviously uh, an unscientific a statement for me to make but it appears to be majorly muscle that he's been gaining we've been gaining at a nice slow rate over the last 10 months maybe maybe less eight months and after that initial fat gain the blurring of the abs he's in, been in a position where everything is going up that we want to go up you know bicep measurements are going up waist circumference isn't going up chest measurements are going up thigh measurements are going up and it looks like he's still maintaining the lean physique in those areas. You know, he's still uh, relatively lean in those other areas, except for this blurring of the abs, you know, and our gym performance has been going up. Strength gain has been going up. He's been really pushing himself hard in the gym, you know, and if he hadn't been able to get over that initial, you know, blurring of the abs, he, he was like, no, oh, no, we need to abort this mission. Let's get back down. Let's diet again. Like he would have missed out on those eight months, of gaining relatively lean muscle 
you know, like he's in a position now where we're like, you know, we need to be ready for a certain date. Like he has a, an event on and it's, it's only going to take us about two months to pull off all that fat and get him to that position where it's like, yeah, you're as lean as you were when you, when we got you down lean and you've probably gained about eight kilos of actual muscle, you know? And so it's like, you, just because you're trusting the process doesn't mean that that process is going to steer you wrong the entire time. Like there might be some blurring of the abs, some fat gain that you don't like initially, but that can still then allow you to keep pushing going forward. And it all boils down to just creating a plan of action that is uh, correct. We'll call it. And then also not focusing too much on, you know, the, the position you are currently in. If we know we are moving in the right direction with, with everything else yeah boy sounds like that guy stayed on the path i don't have anything else to to touch on i don't think i think we covered this topic um pretty comprehensively as we said at the beginning the goal was not to give you guys the kind of weight gain blueprint i think we've done that on the podcast before we've also got an article on our site for people who are kind of struggling a bit more with the weight gain process like there's one called the weight gain bible there's actually sample meal plans in that one and there's also the articles in the nutrition section kind of carving out you know how you actually set up your weight gain your weight gain phase and um, we've also touched on this in some articles on the kind of no man's land between gaining and fat loss so there's a lot of stuff on site that gives the more like right on the ground like what do i need to do how do i set this up the goal of this podcast was really to bring up some of the things that I don't think I've brought up um, very often um, in terms of like what the barriers are to weight gain because it's very easy to just say in a, in a top-down manner, you know, this is how you gain weight, here's the plan of action, implement this, whereas <clears throat> the limiting factors to people actually executing that are often not solely that they can't get their calories up, that, that there are actually other barriers um, in place. So yeah, um, I think we can wrap it up if, if that's okay with you, Patrick. No, it's not okay with me. We're going to stay on this. We're just going to sit here in silence for the next hour. Happy Sunday. <laughs> right. I'm going to read them, man. <laughs> no, you're not allowed. Um, you have to get skinny. You have to, your, your scales measurement is, is too much variability in it. We need to... Uh, I'm, gaining, I'm gaining weight. Because you know what I actually felt? Like, I was thinking, like, I was trying to actually weigh it in my head. I was thinking of the trade-offs because, like, at the moment, like, jiu-jitsu is probably, like, my main interest i'm like i oh, yeah i just want to get better at that so and work was your main interest what the fuck yeah of course but like i want my i want my any training i'm doing is i'm like all right i want it to, to at least help my jiu-jitsu same with nutrition and i was thinking like you know playing the the weight class game like i think it's a bit i think it's a bit foolish like obviously if you're a high level athlete it's different but like i'm a fucking white belt beginner and i think it makes more sense for me to actually just be a bit heavier because i actually do way better in training my cardio is better um i'm going to be closer then to smashing you because you're way heavier than me and um, <laughs> i think that makes a lot more sense you know than just playing the whole all right i'm going to compete again at under 76 which for me is like you know it's 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 pretty lean like i'm pretty lean when i'm there so i'm just going to say that that is a manlet's approach to weight class sports because if i did that approach i would be in the absolutes like the super heavyweights every single time so I have either the choice of staying under and staying in my weight class or competing against people that are topped out at 120 kilos, which is an open weight class, you know? Um, so yeah, that's a, that's, that's a manlet's approach. So unless you have the secret, <coughs> trend alone, uh, to <laughs> me gaining 20 kilos of lean muscle, that approach is stupid. Yeah, but would it be fair to say, because that's my whole point is that like, just ditch the, the whole kind of weight class thought process and think like if you were to get down to your leanest, let's say at like 83 kilos versus like floating around, feeling strong, eating up at like 95 to hundred, like you'd feel way better in training and of the proportion of people that the proportion of people that would be below your level or at your level would be, would be higher. Is that fair to say when you're heavier, stronger, well-fed? See, I just yes. think, yeah, well, obviously, but I just think one of the main things is also just not touched on in like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and that is having extra fat is probably, but actually, this is in like most fight sports. Uh, having extra fat is somewhat of an advantage, you know, yeah. probably not as much of an advantage of having extra muscle, but having effectively this layer of fat, which, you know, animals do this, where they have a layer of fat that protects them from injury, and like 
that makes sense. Even in a striking sport where, you know, you probably do want to have a little bit more uh, relative strength focus. Like you want to be as lean as possible while having the most amount of weight as possible. <laughs> um, but also definitely in a jujitsu sense where you're like grappling, especially when it's not like wrestling grappling where you probably want to be leaner in, in that while still being strong as fuck. Uh, but there's a lot more like cardio element to that, you know, like jujitsu cardio is pretty low cardio uh, need or you know um so yeah i'd 100 agree that having more fat is probably a good idea for that for fight sports and um, to a point obviously getting 100 lean muscle bro yeah like even then i'm like i'd rather still have a little bit of fat over my ribs yeah. and stuff <laughs> um like you can't you can't gain intercostal muscle fucking mass to the fucking extreme like you're not going to gain these fucking huge uh what are they called fucking why can't i remember i want to say you know the fucking boxers muscle they always say serratus yeah um fucking gonna i couldn't remember that um i'm like you're not gonna gain like 30 kilos of mass there that's gonna protect your fucking ribs or something like it's just it's not gonna happen you know um so yeah you just have to be realistic this goes back down to even the discussion we had earlier on you just have to set your goals correctly and then all of this stuff makes sense you can just more accurately create a plan of action that gets you where you need to be. That's it, man. Right. Gary, where can people find us? As all, as mentioned at the start of the podcast, we do have online coaching space available. Get involved in that, especially if you want, you know, the more like specific carving out of the path. So if you listen to this episode and you're thinking, fuck me, man, I don't know where to start with this weight gain stuff. I don't know how to set up my calories. I don't know what a program should look like. Uh, I don't know should be making changes and that is a, a good path for you to be on kind of like you know i want to outsource my training i i think i i know what i'm doing but i would like to, you know a little bit of outsourcing i'd like them to help me change my nutrition you know weekly or monthly or whatever i'd like them to suggest to me how i could customize this program to make it more personal the group coaching is a great option there you're still going to be part of a community in which we can analyze your exercises give you a bit bit of specific guidance but you don't need the kind of real intensive like tracking documents checking documents weekly and check-ins optional phone calls like all the 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 one-to-one stuff all that all that that offers so you can make that choice yourself if you're just someone like you know what i don't think i need coaching but what i would like is a template to kind of start it we do have program templates and there's lots of options there they're designed to basically be a very basic framework like if they're not designed to be like, oh, this is the triage method, sexy program. Because like when we were putting together those templates, the idea was to be like, all right, look, this is what a basic framework should look like rather than being, you know, we could, we could easily like probably get more sales by putting in a, a giant set of leg press lunges and leg extensions with real fancy tempos and give special names to the training techniques. But that doesn't really help anyone in the long run. So those program templates give you the framework for building a training program. The beginner's uh, beginner's guidebook is a very similar concept like they're basically there to give you the basic principles of training and nutrition like that's where you're going to basically find all the principles that if you like if you're someone that listens to the podcast regularly and you think i'm actually just not sure of what they're talking about sometimes the principles like i don't get it like even calories in calories out like that doesn't make sense to me. protein i don't know what, what protein is in um training i don't know what volume is i don't know what rp is the beginner's guidebook is absolutely fantastic for that and it also includes programs that you can perform um, in various different contexts so if you're like i'd actually love to get my mom on board um, with the training process we have like home workout options in there we have a farmyard training option in there so like they're the they're the types of things we're trying to inspire with the beginner's guidebook and then if you're done supporting us because you obviously have invested in all of our services thank you very much then what you can do is just Get on, get on board with the, the, the type of content that we're putting out for free all the time. Um, the newsletter, you can subscribe to that below. That goes out every Sunday with exclusive content and resharing of the content that we will have shared on our social media. So if you're someone like us that doesn't like keep up with social media very closely, but you would like to get the educational content. So for example, recommended resources from around the internet. Like we listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of articles, and generally you'll find is the things that we think might be most of interest to our audience. And the same thing goes for books. You know, we recommend a lot of books in the newsletter every week. Um, and basically like they might be 
fitness or science related that might be a little bit closer to the podcast. But a lot of the time what we're recommending are things that are about kind of like broader, like life concepts. Sometimes they might be history based or whatever, because we think that they help your worldview become, you know, the most savage version of yourself, which is always our goal. Um, and then you can follow the triage method or join rather the triage method community on Facebook. That is our free Facebook group, similar like-minded individuals like yourself. If you want your training videos looked at, like we're more than happy to look at them there. So if you want to send in training clips, get on that. If you want to ask questions to be discussed there or on the podcast, that's a great plan. And we also post in some posts and um, articles, etc., that don't go elsewhere in that community. And then if you just want to follow our general social media and our YouTube channel, you can find all those at Triage Method. The podcast, if you only ever listened, does go up in video format um, on YouTube. I listen to a lot of podcasts on YouTube when I'm um, cooking or washing the dishes or whatever, because I, I find it easier just to go to YouTube. Because if you search on iTunes, you have to open up the iTunes app. And like, I prefer my Google Chrome, click Y, YouTube comes up, boom, done. Um, but uh, you, know, you know the crack. Same old story. That's it for this week. Just remember that it is, in fact, too easy. And we will see you guys on Thursday. <laughs>